Good morning, what's up? All right, hey, so glad you're here today. Um, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, and uh, we'll, we're going to be there in just a minute. If you don't have Bibles, don't worry, uh, stuff's going to be on the screen, you'll be able to see everything you need to see, but go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to jump in there. Uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I just thought of something when Chris was, uh, was leading a while ago, and... and um, and, and he was going into the song, uh, You Are Good, or it's, it's what is it really called? Uh, Forever Rain. But it talks, starts off telling God that he's good. And, and uh, he was talking about how, you know, we're all messed up. And I was ha- listening to a conversation recently where two people were discussing whether or not another person was crazy. Ever, ever been in on one of those, right? And, and they're, they're, one person's giving the the proof that the person was crazy and the other person was kind of saying, oh yeah, they are crazy. And they're kind of, and I was listening to that. And then I chimed in and I said, hey, I know that person's crazy because we all crazy, right? And, and, and I said, and I really believe that. We're all crazy. We're all messed up. There's just different levels of it. Now, there's some people who are like way, all, way up there crazy that we don't ever want to get to, but we're all crazy. We, we've all, we all do stuff that, that sometimes after we do it, we're like, what in the world? I don't even know why I did that. Why, did I, why would I say that to that person or why would I do that thing, whatever it might be? And so, uh, so I just want to tell you today, I, you know, I don't know what your background is or, or why you're even at church today or, or what the deal is, but, but if you showed up here today thinking that everybody here has got it all together and you're the only one that's messed up, yeah, if that's the way you showed up today, I want to let you know you're in good company because we're all messed up. So you just walked into the insane asylum today, and what we're going to do is we're going to try to discover what it is that God wants us to know. And the best way I found out about doing that, the best way I found in my life of, of knocking back the craziness and finding truth and being able to focus in on what it is God wants me to be is by going to the Bible. That is absolutely the best way to do it. And so when you come here, we're going to teach from the Bible every time you're here. And, and so we're going to do that again today. And so if you, if you, like I said, if you've got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 4. Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going I'm to start reading from there in just a minute. Uh, but, but let me, let me uh, kind of give you a, a setting of, of, of where we are. Uh, we, we've been talking about... Um, the book of Acts, we're doing the first seven chapters. We've been doing that for the last few weeks. And last week, if you'll remember, it was, it was Acts chapter 3. And what happened last week is Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, uh, they, they go to the synagogue at regular time in the afternoon that they normally go to pray. There's a dude there that can't walk. He asks them for money. They tell him, hey, we're broke, but I got something better than money. And they heal him, tell him to get up and walk, and he does. And he gets up and he walks. And, uh, and, then, and then Peter begins to tell the gospel, begins to tell the story about Jesus to all the people that are there. And, and it attracted a crowd. If, I don't know if you remember or not, but Acts 3.11 that we, that we read last week, it said that, that people came running to them. So there was, there was this big crowd of folks. And, uh, and, and, so, and, and when that happened, that, that created some controversy that we're going to get to today when we start reading in, in, in uh, verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. But, you know, the, the thing that I, I was thinking about as I was reading Acts chapter 4 and getting ready for this message, I started thinking about the culture that we live in. And I think more than ever now, uh, than, than there's ever been before, we, we make people famous for just really no reason at all. 
Um, take, for instance, the Kardashians. I mean, those people are unbelievably famous, and all they've done is inherited a bunch of money, they dress like streetwalkers, and they go to nightclubs, and they marry professional athletes. That's what they've done. And everybody in America just about knows their names. They, when you hear the, the name Kardashian, even if you don't know exactly what's going on, you say, oh yeah, those people are famous. I've heard about them before. And so you kind of know, and then of course you got Bruce Jenner with all the stuff he's had done to his face that he looks like some kind of an alien from another planet now or whatever. And, uh, but th- th- it's just, and, and they are famous, they are famous and they have not accomplished anything. They haven't built anything, they haven't made anything, they haven't made, written anything or had any good ideas. They just had a bunch of money and they go out and party and, hey, let's make them into superstars. Or the Jersey Shore people, I don't even get into all that garbage. But, you know, there's just, people are famous for nothing now. And, and I think inside all of us, maybe there's not a desire to be famous, but I believe inside all of us there's a desire to be significant. That, that we don't want to be just one of the crowd, that, that we want to know that we have a purpose, that, that there's some significance to us. And, and I think what happens with some people is that they think, well, if I just get famous for any old reason at all, then that will make me significant. They're mistaken. That doesn't necessarily make you significant. It just makes you famous. But we want, we have this search out there for, for trying to find some reason to, to be significant, to, to stand out from the crowd. Well, I'm going to read you Acts chapter 4 and, and, uh, and the first 13 verses, and then we're going to read on from there. But in the first 13 verses, you're going to see in there that there's a way that we can be significant that has nothing to do with being on a reality television show or has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have or what trendy clubs you go to or any of that kind of stuff. But there's a, a, a real way that we can find significance in life, and, uh, and we're going to find that out as we read these first 13 verses. So if you've got your Bibles... Acts 4, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and you just follow along on the screen, and I'll stop every now and then and make some comments, that kind of stuff. So Acts 4, starting with verse 1. Now remember, I'm already making a comment before we start. Remember what just happened. They healed this guy. People came running up to him. Peter's up there in the middle. He's preaching the gospel, telling them about Jesus. Now, Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now let's stop right there just a second. There's a group of people here called the Sadducees. There were three, and back in those days, there were three groups of religious teachers who were well-respected, and these were guys who were supposed to be the experts in Scripture. The Sadducees were one. Anybody know the name of another one? Jesus always gave them a hard time. You want to say it? The Pharisees, and does anybody know the name of the third group? The Essenes, which they get hardly any press in the Bible. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Now the Sadducees, you've got to notice something here. It, look at what it says they were upset about. Verse 2, it says they were greatly disturbed, not because Peter healed a guy. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, the Sadducees believed you lived this life and when you were dead, that was it. There was no afterlife. Jesus was, they didn't believe Jesus came back from the dead. They didn't believe that Jesus had ever raised anyone back from the dead like Lazarus. They didn't believe in the the final resurrection of the dead that's going to happen one day when Jesus comes back. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. 
And so the old preacher joke here is you say that's why they were sad, you see. That's, that's the way you can remember who the Sadducees were. That's an old-timey joke. But, but that's a good way to remember that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So that's why they're upset, not because there was a guy healed, but because Peter is standing up and he's saying Jesus is the only way for salvation and, and he, re- he brings people back to life and he came back to life and all that kind of stuff. Look, now, verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them into jail. They put them in jail until the next day. Now, remember that later on in the book of Acts, we're going to see lots of persecution that the apostles have to endure. There's going to be a lot of people arrested, a lot of people stoned and beaten, and all this kind of stuff. But this is the very first time that that happened. You remember we just read back in, in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter 2, it said that at that time, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, they were enjoying all the favor of the people. So things were good. People were happy with them. They weren't, they weren't upset about what was going on. But everything began to change right here in verse 3 when, the, when Peter and John were the first people to be arrested for teaching about Jesus. Then verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now think about this. At the very beginning of Acts, how many believers did it tell us there were? Remember in chapter 1, how many did it say at the very beginning? 120. 120 believers at that time. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter preaches, and how many people got saved and baptized in the clothes they came to church in that day? 3,000. And since Pentecost, between Pentecost and here, 2,000 more have accepted Jesus. So the gospel was just spreading out all over the place. And, and, and I, I love that, that Luke adds that in there on verse 4 to let you know, hey, even though these guys got arrested, don't worry. There's people getting saved left and right. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, I can just imagine that they, they asked him the very question that Peter was ready to answer. And I can just imagine they're sitting there, hey, by what power or what name did you do this? And John was sitting over there going, oh, snap, it's about to happen now. Peter's about to throw down on him right here, you know. And, and so and Peter did. Look what happens, verse, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. So Peter throws a little Old Testament on him right there, which they, they all knew, and he said, Jesus is the stone you rejected, and now he's the capstone, he's the most important. I think it's also awesome that they healed a guy who had been rejected by society. So he's also saying, you rejected this guy, and now we've made a miracle out of him. And I love that Peter takes no credit for himself. He doesn't say, check out my awesome healing powers. I'm going to go on a tour and go down to the Bilo Center and charge people $45 a head to come be healed. No, what Peter says is, it's all Jesus. Jesus did it. The, the very name that I'm preaching to you about, that's who healed this, this guy who's never been able to walk before today. Then verse 12, Peter says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, let me stop right here just a second. This is not the point of the message today, verse 12, but I don't want to go past verse 12 without pointing it out. 
If, if you want to memorize a verse of Scripture, memorize Acts 4.12. It's not that long. You can commit it to memory. Okay, and I don't, I don't want to miss, miss this chance to say this. Notice what Peter says. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, by which men, given to men by which they can be saved. It's not, hey, I think I'll be a Muslim and all Muslims go to heaven. And, hey, Buddhists go to heaven too. It's, it's not that, or it's not, uh, you know, it's not some, some other kind of crazy religion. that It, it really doesn't matter what you believe. It's, it all comes out in the wash, and we're all serving the same God. No, 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 no. It's made clear in the New Testament time and time again. Jesus made it clear himself. Peter makes it clear here now. There is one way and one way only to be forgiven of your sin, one way and one way only to have eternal life in heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. So I want to be very, very clear about that before we move on. I don't want to just gloss over that verse. All right, now to verse 13, and we're going we're gonna to get serious about what we're talking about today. So Peter's done talking, and check out their reaction to Peter. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want you to know today that Jesus is in the business that Jesus transforms ordinary people into extraordinary people. He transforms ordinary people into extraordinary people. He does it all the time. That's what he is in the business of doing. Let me read that to you again, verse 413. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now think about the recent timeline of what has just happened that, that we've been talking about here for the last few weeks. Uh, you had, at the, at the beginning of at Pentecost, you had the Holy Spirit showed up, Peter stands up and preach, 3,000 people get saved. Then, then the group of people that Peter and John and, and, uh, and, and their other friends, the other 11 apostle, uh, apostles that they're hanging out, the group of people they're leading, they begin to live such radical lives that they're, that they're selling all their stuff and, and, and they're donating money to the poor and they're doing all this this crazy stuff and people are getting saved every day the scripture tells us then peter and john go to synagogue one day and while they're there they are able to heal a guy who's never been able to walk before then when they're when they're arrested peter who who just a few weeks earlier when jesus was arrested he was such a wimp and such a fraidy cat that when he had an opportunity to talk about Jesus, he, he denied that he even knew Jesus. And now he's been arrested and, and very real chance that, that he could be executed or could be, be beaten. And what does he do? He stands up and he boldly tells them the truth about Jesus. Now when you see all that stuff that's happened, it would be easy for us to look at that and say, you know what, Peter must have been like just some kind of spiritual superstar. He must have been like just unbelievably knowledgeable about the Bible and, and had great organizational skills. And I bet John scored like a perfect score on his math section of the SAT. You know, it's just easy to look at that stuff and think these guys were, they were way up here. They did stuff that I could never think about doing. But when we read verse 13, we see the reality of who these guys were. It said that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, think about that. That's not exactly something that you'd want to be referred to. If, if there were three people standing around talking about you, 
Let's say they're talking about me. Hey, you know Cliff Marshall? Oh, yeah, he's that guy. He's really ordinary. Another guy chimes in. Don't forget he's unschooled. Oh, yes. I've, I have noticed how ignorant he is about things. That's, that's, not, that's not what you're looking for. You don't want to be known as ordinary and unschooled. That, that's not exactly what, what we're looking for. But what happened with these guys, they were that. They were ordinary. They were unschooled. And Jesus used them to change the course of history. That the stuff that they were doing here in Acts chapter 4 and the, and the stuff that they did in Acts chapter 2 and the stuff they were going to continue to do for the rest of the book of Acts, those were things that literally altered the course of human history. That the fact that we meet here today in Greer, South Carolina, a place where at that time the, the gospel had not even made it over to America, that there were just Native Americans living here and, and they had never heard the gospel yet. And, and the fact that we're doing that here, that shows how far their reach went. And that these were, this was done by people who you probably wouldn't have hired to do your taxes or if you owned a business, you wouldn't have let them manage it because they were just ordinary. They were unschooled. They, they weren't the guys that, that you wanted to, to put on your team. I thought about I thought about this when I was thinking about uh, when I was a kid. And you remember remember at uh, elementary school and stuff when they'd pick teams at recess. Anybody remember that stuff? Any of you have like emotional scars over that? I, I, some of you probably do. It's all right. It's okay to admit that. And you know, and and I can remember at recess, like in 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 elementary school and middle school, thinking that I wanted to be the first one picked. And I was never the first one picked. And the reason why is, is because I wasn't good enough. There was this kid named Dennis McCants in my school. Dennis McCants was always the first one picked. And you know why? Because Dennis McCants was awesome. Dude was fast. He could throw a football 3,000 yards. He could do all kind of stuff. I remember when we were like 14 years old, he could dunk. And he was only about an inch taller than me. And I was like, how in the world can you do that? And, and he was always the first one picked. And, and, and I was always just somewhere kind of in the middle of the pack. I wasn't the last one picked. But I wasn't the first one picked. I was just ordinary. I was never the guy that anybody was going to say, hey, if we're going to dominate in dodgeball, we need Cliff Marshall on our team. No, I was the guy that said, we've picked four or five other guys. Yeah, let's take Cliff. He's pretty ordinary. We'll, we'll put him on there. And that's what these guys were in life. But you know who made them his very first pick? Jesus. Jesus comes to earth. He's God. He knows everything. He can choose anybody He wants to. And He chooses these guys. He chooses the unschooled. He chooses the ordinary. And He walks up to Him and He says, Hey, follow me and I'm going to make something significant out of you. I'm going to take you from ordinary to extraordinary. I'm going to give you a mission to do that's going to literally change history. He made the unschooled, He made the ordinary His very first picks on his team. And I loved it in verse 13. It says there, when it says there that the, the Sadducees were astonished at them, and it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was the only qualification for being extraordinary. It wasn't being having a lot of money. It wasn't going to the right school or knowing the right people. It was being with Jesus. That's what took them from ordinary to extraordinary. And that's what can do the same thing for us. See, I know that we hear this story, and I know that, that you hear all I said about that these guys were normal guys just like us, but the reality is, when you hear that, I know what you think. You think, man, that's a, that's a cool story and all, but just in my life, I don't feel extraordinary at all. 
And in fact, there's days where if you referred to me as ordinary, I'd be excited about that because that'd be a step up from how I felt. It'd be like, man, I feel rotten, so ordinary is awesome. If you think I'm ordinary, I will take it. Are you that way as well? We have that time, don't we? Sometimes just doing life, just the, the very fabric of what we do day in and day out and paying the bills and going to work and dealing with your kids and your husband and your wife and your neighbors and, and your teachers at school and all that kind of stuff, just dealing with all that, we don't feel anything close to extraordinary. We feel beaten down and we feel rotten and we feel useless and we feel insignificant. So how can we, if, if you're a follower of Jesus... And the scripture tells us that Jesus wants to take us from just ordinary and unschooled to extraordinary. What are some things that we can, we can do? What are some things that we can think about that will help us to, to understand the reality that Jesus wants to make us extraordinary? Well, I think we get two clues in this story. One is in Acts 4, verse 8 that I'm going to read you in a minute. And then one comes later in a part of the scripture we're going to read in just a minute. The first one is this. Make sure that your being with Jesus isn't only in the past tense. Make sure that your being with Jesus isn't only in the past tense. By the way, I have no idea if that sentence is grammatically correct about your being with Jesus, but here's what I mean by it. Verse 13, let me read it to you one more time. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now that's in the, the past tense, isn't it? These men had been with Jesus. So when we read that, we automatically think, okay, they're talking about the three years that they spent with Jesus. After Jesus selected them, hey, you're going to follow me. You're my first pick for my team, even though you're unschooled and ordinary. They spent three years hanging around with Jesus. They were there with him when he was teaching. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him heal people. They heard the Sermon on the Mount in person. They were, they were there with all this stuff. But now Jesus is gone, right? Jesus after he was crucified, he came back from the dead and, and he hung out with them for about a month and then he gave them a mission to do and then he literally flew up into heaven on a cloud and they were standing there looking at him. That's what we talked about the very first week that we talked about the book of Acts. So when it says that these men had been with Jesus, we think that that's something that only happened in the past tense. And sometimes our being with Jesus is something that we focus on that happened in the past tense. But look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 4. And read what it says there. Right before Peter gets ready to speak, they asked him, hey, why are you doing all this stuff? We've arrested you. Why are you doing it? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the, say it with me, Holy Spirit, said to them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. These guys had spent three years with Jesus. They had had a history with Jesus, but it wasn't just history with them. It was daily now. That the moment that Peter needed to know what to say, Jesus filled him. The Holy Spirit filled him. And that's exactly, by the way, I don't know if you remember this, in the Gospels, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. There's a time when Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and he said, one day you're going to be arrested for my name, and when you do, when you're persecuted, don't plan out what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will fill you at the right time, and you'll know exactly what you're supposed to say right there on the spot. And here it was, being fulfilled right here in, in, in front of the Sadducees. And so 
what we have to be sure that we do is, is we've got to make sure that, that even though we have this feeling sometimes that we're not extraordinary, that we don't just focus on our past with Jesus. That it's not just, yeah, we had been with Jesus at one time, but we need to be sure that we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're being with Jesus day after day after day. I've, uh, when I was in college, I made uh, some of the best friends that, that I'll ever have when I was in college. And one of my best friends in college... Um, was my roommate, and uh, his name's Critter. That's his nickname. Uh, his real name is Stephen Crittenden, and we call him Critter. And, uh, and Critter and his wife, Debbie, and their ton of kids, um, they are now missionaries in Southeast Asia. So he literally lives on the other side of the world from where we live. And so we've got a, a strong past. I mean, we spent four years together, hung out with him, uh, you know, just all the time. And uh, me and Sherry, when we were dating, we went out with, with him and Debbie. We double dated together, and we were in their wedding, and they were in our wedding. And so we were just great buddies, and we've got a great past with him. Well, our past is strong, and our present is as strong as it can be, but it's not as strong because my friendship with him can never be exactly as strong as it was because he lives in Southeast Asia. We keep in touch through email, we keep in touch through Facebook, and, and this past summer uh, he was home and, and we got to hang out with him for three or four hours and it was awesome. And, and I realized how much I missed him and uh, we just had a great time together. But I was also realizing that while, while we were together for those three or four hours, it was never going to be able to be like it was then because we're not staying in the same dorm room and being stupid together all the time and all that kind of stuff. We're married and we got kids and he lives somewhere else and he's trying to serve the Lord there and I'm trying to serve the Lord here. And although our friendship will, will never be over with and it can never be altered because of what it was, it's not as strong today as it used to be. Maybe that's the way you feel about Jesus. Maybe you've got a strong past with Jesus that, that you can remember when... when a time that you had been with Jesus. And it was really strong. And, and it, was, it was real to you. And, and you lived it out day after day. But the present tense of you and Jesus is not that strong anymore. And, and that's, that's why you go from not feeling extraordinary, but that's why you feel ordinary. That's why you feel unschooled. That's why you feel like Jesus can't use you. Because, because you're depending on something that happened three five, ten, twenty years ago, and it's not real to you today. See, when Peter stood up in front of the Sadducees, he didn't have to recall back to, oh yeah, that three years that I spent with Jesus was awesome. He had to only recall right at that moment because the Holy Spirit was filling him, because he was constantly seeking out what Christ wanted for him. He was in prayer. He was in Bible study. He was hanging out with the other believers, and he was trying to do exactly what Jesus wanted him to do. And so if we want to be sure that, that, that in our life we don't get stuck in the ordinary but we can live in the extraordinary, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to be sure that our time with Jesus is not just in the past tense but that it's in the present tense. The second thing we can do, I'm, I'm going to read you the rest of the story and, and I'll tell you what the second one is. So look at Acts 4 starting with verse 14. So they've talked to Peter. Peter's told them you know, what the deal is. They've noticed that they're unschooled and ordinary. They're astonished. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, 
we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. I think that's hilarious. These are like the most powerful guys around, and all they can come up with is, hey, y'all just kind of keep it to yourselves. As if the dude that was healed isn't going to be telling everybody he meets. Verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I love these next two verses. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The second thing that we need to be sure that we do if we want to, if we want to try to live in the extraordinary and not get stuck in the ordinary is this. Keep talking about Him. Keep talking about Him. Keep talking about what Jesus has done for you. I love that Peter and John say in verse 20, Listen, dude. If we wanted to be quiet about this, we couldn't. We cannot shut up about this. Jesus has changed us so much. He's done so much for us that that we are going to talk about it. You can threaten to put us in prison. You can threaten to kill us. You can do all those kinds of things. But we are still going to talk about what Jesus has done for us. And and that's what we're supposed to do. That we we should always be looking for opportunities to talk about what Jesus has done for us. The the Scripture tells us to, uh, in the Old Testament, Psalm 105, 1 and 2 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known among the nations what He has done, sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all His wonderful acts. 1 Chronicles 16, 23 and 24 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim His salvation day after day. You don't just talk about it once and be done with it. Day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all the peoples. We're supposed to be out there just talking about our life, about what Jesus has done for us. And here's the thing. We talk a lot here at this church about you talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. And we talk about tell your story to your people. Just tell what Jesus has done for you to the people you already know. But don't just talk to to people who don't know about Jesus. Talk to the people here. Talk to your friends who are believers and just tell them about what Jesus is doing in your life, about how you cannot believe that you're saved, about the miracle of that. Because what that does for us when we're doing that, as we do it, it keeps the love and the the reality of what God's doing in our life fresh. It, It keeps it fresh in our mind. If we talk about it, we begin to understand, oh yes, that wasn't something that just happened a long time ago. It's still happening today. Jesus is still saving me today, and he's going to be saving me tomorrow. I'm living in the midst of that. And as you talk about it to people who are believers, when you talk about it, what Jesus is doing for you, it's also going to encourage them. I think one of the things that happens to us is because of the fact that oftentimes our relationship with Jesus is a past tense thing. Oh, yeah, that was back when I got baptized you know, a long time ago. But now today, Jesus isn't doing a whole lot. Because it's a past tense thing, we don't talk about it much because we've kind of gotten used to it. You, know, you, you, don't, you talk about things at first, and then after a while you get used to them, and you don't talk about them as much. I'll tell you, the, 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 a good example of, of how we should talk about Jesus is uh, think about new parents. Aren't new parents who just have had a baby, aren't they disgusting with how much they talk about their babies? It just drives you crazy. Now, I will say this, Blake and Laura Beth have just had a baby, and, and Blake is doing really well with this. He talks about things other than Neely, so that's, that's awesome. But he does talk about Neely. But, but you get around a new, and, and, and I'm, we all did it, I did it. Today, in fact, today is, is Grace, my, my, she's 11. Today is my 11-year-old's birthday. She's 11 today. 
And when she was born, I already had one baby. But man, I talk about grace all the time. Like there'd never been a baby born before. Like I was the first guy to ever experience childbirth with his wife. It's just crazy. I was at a wedding uh, back in the spring, and there was a guy there who, who has his, had his first little boy with him. The little boy was, I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to just kind of walk around. And he was holding him, and somebody came up and said, oh, he's gotten so big. And, and the, this is the dad, not the mom, said, yeah, he's got 13 teeth. I was like, what the heck? Who cares about the tooth count, you know? But it was like just, and so just to mess with him, I was standing right there, and just to mess with him, I said, what's the big deal? I got like 30 teeth. I mean, because I just had to give him a hard time. But it's a good example, when you're a new parent, that's, that's such an integral part of your life that you, you just will tell anybody about it. You'll talk to anybody about that baby. And, and when, when we're followers of Jesus, if Jesus has really done something for us, he's really saved us from sin, if he's really given us a path of significance, if we really believe that he can take us from ordinary to extraordinary, that's something we should be talking about. It should just be normal conversation. Because God did something for us that morning or yesterday or, or you're anticipating what he's going to do for you next week and it's just going to come out in who you are. It's going to be something that, that you just begin to discuss with people. I, as I was thinking about this message today and thinking about the fact that I really do believe that the scripture is true, I really do believe that Jesus specializes in taking ordinary people and making them extraordinary. I thought about, I think the world that we live in today with, with all the technology and the information we have at our fingertips is really cool. But I think one of the things that it can do to us if we're not careful is, is whatever it is that you are trying to be or you want to do. I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, because of the fact that we've got such um, ability to get information from everywhere, you're probably going to be able to find somebody on the internet or on TV that can do exactly what it is that you want to do or or be what you want to be, they're, they're doing it better than you already. And what that does sometimes is that begins to lower our view of ourself. Well, I'll never be as good as that guy. I was hoping to do this. And now I just saw this dude on YouTube who's 12. He does it a lot better than I'll ever be able to do it. And so it can begin to, to lower what we think about ourselves. And, and if we're not careful that can bleed over into our spiritual life. And, and you, you see somebody on TV or you hear a story or you talk to somebody at church and you think, I'll never know as much scripture as them. I'll never be able to, that guy just witnessed to somebody where he worked, I'll never be able to do that. I'm never going to be that good. And so we believe that we're just going to be stuck being ordinary. But I want you to hear something. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. I believe, and I believe Scripture teaches, that God has big plans for you. That God has extraordinary things for you to do. That God has things that He's going to put on your agenda. That, now listen to this, I, I believe this. That God has things He's going to put on your agenda that no one else can accomplish. That He's got specific things that He has outlined for you to do at a specific time. Now, they might not be things that are, that are going to get you a lot of money. They, not, might, they might not be things that are, are going to be noticed by a lot of people. In fact, they might be things that some people would even think are kind of insignificant. But I believe God has plans for you 
to take you from ordinary to extraordinary, and he's got things he's going to put on your agenda that only you can do. And when you do those things, it's going to literally change the eternity of somebody. It's going to make an impact that will change history. See, God specializes in that. The Bible is full of stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary. You go back to the Old Testament, there was this this kid who was sold into slavery. He was a slave. And and he, he ended up in Egypt, which at that time was the most powerful country in the world. And through what God did in his life, he went from being a slave who was in prison. You talk about having it bad. You're not only a slave, but you're also in jail. And God took him and he became the right-hand man for the Pharaoh of Egypt, who at that time would have been the most powerful man in the world. And the Pharaoh told him, whatever you say to do, I'm trusting you. And through what God did in this man's life named Joseph, that, that through, through the wisdom God gave him and the discernment God gave him, that Joseph helped Pharaoh prepare for a famine and thousands and thousands of lives were saved because of what Joseph did, because Joseph was following God's plan. An ordinary, unschooled guy slave and a prisoner that God took and made something amazing out of. Or you take a, a teenage girl who, who is engaged to be married and, and doesn't know anything. She's from a small town. Nobody knows her. She's nothing significant. And, and God uh, decides in his wisdom and he sends an angel down and says, go tell that young girl that I'm sending my son to earth and she's going to be that boy's mother. She's going to raise that child in her home. And Mary went from being ordinary to extraordinary. And then you got Peter, who we've just been reading about. Peter was just a fisherman. He was just a regular guy trying to make a living. Trying to have enough fish sold at the market by Friday to pay all his bills. And Jesus took him and he said, I want you first pick on my team. And not only do I want you to be on my team now, but when I leave this earth and go back to heaven, I'm putting you in charge of the church that we're going to start ordinary to extraordinary and he wants to do the same thing for you he wants to take your life and whatever it is that you are whatever it is that you think you're trying to do and when you get faced with the reality the toughness of life he wants to take you from ordinary to extraordinary and i want to read the last two verses of acts chapter 4 and we're going to be finished acts 4 21 and 22 this is how it sums up the ending it says this after further threats they let them go They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now think about this. There was nothing now that they could do to hurt these guys. And we're going to read in the rest of the book of Acts, there's people that they got beaten, they got thrown in jail, they got whipped, they got stoned. That means throwing rocks at them, not doing something else they did all this stuff to these guys in the vain attempt to get them to shut up and what these guys understood and what i want you to understand today is they understood it doesn't matter what you do to me man because i'm extraordinary i'm no longer an ordinary unschooled dude that has no significance in life jesus has made me jesus has picked me to be on his team 
And he has taken me from being ordinary and unschooled, and he's made me to, into extraordinary, and he's given me a job to do. He's given me a message to proclaim. You want to throw me in jail? Throw me in jail. You want to whip me? Whip me. You want to beat me with rods? Beat me with rods. You want to stone me and leave me for dead? Stone me and leave me for dead. But when I'm done uh, suffering there, I'm going to get up and I'm going to dust myself off and I'm going to go back into the city and I'm going to tell people about Jesus again and again and again. Because I'm no longer ordinary. I'm no longer unschooled. I'm extraordinary by the power of Jesus. And that's exactly what he wants to do for us. I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, we're going to sing a song. And, and then we're going to leave. And we're going to go out of here this week. And I want you to walk out of here today understanding the fact that God has extraordinary things for you to do. Not because you're awesome, but because he's awesome. And that he's chosen you to be on his team. He's chosen me to be on his team. He's chosen me, the kid who never could have been chosen first in kickball, but he's chosen me to be first on his team in ministering for him. He's chosen you to be first on his team for ministering for him. Let's pray together. Father God, the reality of, of where we live and what we deal with day after day often conspires against us to keep us from understanding how extraordinary you want us to be. But Father, I pray this week when we face those obstacles and we face challenges that we think are overwhelming, that we'd be reminded of the truth of Scripture. We'd be reminded of the fact that, that you took Peter and John and a lot of other guys that were just ordinary and unschooled. You took them and and you made them extraordinary for you. And that you want to do the same thing for us. Lord, we trust you with our lives. Help me to stop trying to figure things out on my own. Help me to quit trying to make all the decisions of where I need to go next and who I need to try to be. And help me to rely instead on the direction you're giving me. And I pray that same thing for everyone in this room. That we would... Quit trying to achieve so much on our own and just worry about pleasing you. And then you're going to allow us to achieve greater things for you than we ever could have done alone. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.